Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, incredible, as always, to worship together. And as we were worshiping, I couldn't help but think. I don't know what it was about the songs. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, it was, uh, maybe it was just I was in my own world. But I thought of, I couldn't help but think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When he, when he says the, 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 the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy, he comes to, to keep the veil, to keep us veiled, to keep our faces veiled. But, but where the spirit is, there is freedom, and he comes to remove the veil. He comes to remove the veil, and where the spirit of the Lord is, the veil is removed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And as we behold him, I think, it was, I think that seemed to come through in some of the songs, as we behold him, as we fix our attention on him, we are, we are, as we are transfixed our eyes on Jesus' face, I think we sang. And as we behold his glory, we are transformed into his likeness. We are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And actually, Paul goes on to say, sometimes there's times where I get really frustrated, actually, with the chapter divisions in our book, because we'll finish our, in, in, our, in our Bibles, and because chapter three, you just want to keep going, actually. The spirit of the Lord is there's freedom, and the, and the veil has been removed. Therefore, in, in, in light of this, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. This is the ministry that has been given to us. The God of the age, he's, he's tried to blind the minds of those who haven't yet experienced him. But for us, it's been removed. For us, it's been removed, and now we can behold him. And he has, bl- he has removed the veil so that we can see, we can see the, the image of God. We can see the gospel, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So let light shine out of the darkness. He has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And with those verses in mind, I'm trying to, I'm trying to awaken my imagination that as we gather to worship, that the light would shine out of darkness, that the light would shine in our hearts so that we could see him, we could see and experience the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God, would you, would you cause the veil to be removed so that we could have that, we could have that experience? So last week, uh, last week we talked about um, what, who, who uh, is responsible. Imagination stirred, is it? Uh, you just know how, how I struggle with titles, titling um, what, what I'm sharing on. So, so, uh, so imagination stirred is what, is what we talked about last week. And we, I, I anchored some of those thoughts that I felt like God gave uh, in the prayer room Friday, Friday night, week ago, in the living room as we prayed. Um, and we have this, what is known as the Hall of Faith. And, Stories being told of those great cloud of witnesses. We get an insight into their lives. We get an insight into what made them persevere and to continue to go and and follow and obey and love and worship. And it was, even though they couldn't physically see, they still saw. 
how the 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 Bible is just so suitable for us Irish folk, isn't it? Even though they couldn't physically see, yet they saw. They looked ahead. They looked forward. They seen with their mind's eye. And because of that, because their imagination had been stirred, because they, Abraham had looked, he had looked to the stars and seen, his, seen something of his destiny, his imagination was stirred. He looked forward to the city that was to come. He was able to keep going. And even though they never walked in the promises that they had seen, it was because they had caught a glimpse of it. It's because they had seen it in their mind's eye that they were able to continue to pursue. And last week we finished off by, by again going to, to Elijah. Elijah needed his mind awakened. He needed his mind renewed. He needed, he needed it restored. He needed his imagination stirred. And so he, in the quiet place, in the moment, and David started us this morning, in, in the sheer silence, it is better translated as sheer silence or gentle blowing. And when everything else had died down, Elijah experienced the breath of God in the quiet place, in the stillness. A new life was breathed into him. And we pointed, we looked how there was something of that story pointed us, pointed us forward to Jesus. When Jesus, when the disciples who were, who were in fear of what was going to happen next found themselves in the upper room and Jesus appeared to them and breathed on them. He breathed on them. New life was, was restored. New life was breathed into them. Resurrection life was breathed on them. And they were able to dream again. Elijah was able to dream again. He was able to imagine because his mind had been renewed. And we could continue to talk about all the things that Paul has to say with regard to our mind. Paul continues to speak over and over again the significance of guarding what we, what we think, taking a captive of the things that we think. Because I think Paul has a pretty good idea. He's human. He's human just like us. I th he knows that once a thought enters our mind, we don't take hold of it. It runs away. Thoughts can just run away from us. And the thoughts take hold of our imagination and we begin to play all of these scenarios out in our mind and Paul is passionate about guarding what we think. And so if it's okay, I just want to spend another week, um, so spend some more time this morning just seeing if there's more that we can, that we can get out of this conversation. If there's more thoughts that, that can be stirred as we speak about what it would be like to have our imagination stirred. See, I, I am... I am convinced as, I, as, I've, as I've sat back and tried to meditate on some of this last week. Like for me, last week, Neville said, is the, the, the dog ate my homework. Um, but, so for me, it still felt really fresh last Sunday. And so I tried to spend this, this week just continuing to chew over this, continue to meditate on, God, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're saying? And I've come to, I've come, and this is like, hear me again. Some of this stuff is, is my experience and maybe it's not yours. But my, I, I feel like my experience has been that in fear of, in our fear of imagination, in our fear of it being 
simply for the world of fantasy and simply for the world of make-believe. We have stifled our imagination. I've asked myself the question, has, has the church been responsible for that? Has the church been responsible for stifling the imagination? And Friday night again, as we, as we, as we were praying, I felt reminded that, that God is creator. That's the first thing we were introduced to, who, to him as. Creator God, who then not long later uh, creates us in his own image. In his own image, he created us male and female just like him. We are made in the image of creator God. And there's creativity that he has placed within us. There is, there is dreams and visions and imaginations that he has placed in us as his image bearers that I fear is, in some ways, has been stifled. It's been stifled because we, we fear that using our imagination, applying our imagination, it inevitably means thinking outside the box. It inevitably means going beyond our traditions. And that's why the story in Acts chapter 10 is, is, probably, one of my, is probably one of my favorite stories throughout the book of Acts because I think it's a significant moment. It's significant what takes place in Peter's mind. He has this moment where, where God wants, to, wants Peter to think beyond his tradition. He is needing Peter to think beyond his own man-made traditions. And so he wants his imagination to be stirred. Peter, you need to catch this. Do not call anything unclean that I have called clean. Peter, I need you to think beyond I need you to think outside of the box. I need you to think beyond the, the limitations, the self-imposed limitations that you have placed upon me. I feel like that's what maybe God would be challenging us with. And I feel like our imaginations need to be awoke. They are a gift from God. They are a gift from God. Our imaginations are a gift from God. And what God intends for good, the enemy intends for evil. It's where God intends for imaginations to be stirred, for, for us to, to have dreams and visions, to see our families and our homes and our communities being transformed, the stories of family and communities being rewritten, then the enemy has the complete opposite desire. Where God wants to unveil unveil our minds and lead us into freedom. The enemy wants to keep the veil over our minds and keep us in bondage. What God intends for good, the enemy intends for evil. And he, he, and he longs to take hold of our imagination. And part of me, and, and, and forgive me if some of this is, language is unhelpful, but I think he loves it, the enemy loves it when our imaginations have been stifled. He loves it whenever we keep, keep these self-imposed limitations around what God can do. Whenever we keep him, God, and what he wants to do in a little box of our own mad, man-made traditions, the, I think the enemy is content with that. And he loves it. The enemy loves it. And I think Paul is so passionate about this because the enemy loves to take a foothold in our mind. Whether it's through an experience, whether it's through a fence, whether it's through a fence or what it's, whatever it's through, he, he gets a foothold in our mind and we begin to think about it. 
we begin to think about it, and, and the more we think about it, the more we play out, we play out the scenario over and over in our minds. And, and I don't know whether it could be a work scenario, it could be a, it could be a relational conflict. And I think that's what I think again, Paul in, in Ephesians chapter four, he says, Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't don't let the sun go down in your anger. What is it that he says, sorry? In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry, yes, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so I don't know if you're anything like me. But any time there's moments, maybe in marriage or among friends or among family where there is some sort of conflict. And there's a moment where, where there's, in the, in, in the separation, in the, the walking out of the room, or the period of time in between having this resolved, I don't know if you're like me, but you play it over and over in your mind. You play the scenario over and over again. What you should have said and what you're going to say next time. How you're going to win the battle next time. How you're going to win the argument the next time this comes up. And it plays over and over in our minds. And the enemy loves it. He's got a foothold. He's taking hold of your thoughts and he's, be he's, he's beginning to play out this, this conflict over and over again in your mind. He's captured our imagination. And I, and I don't know where David's going to go tonight. But what, what, I, what I feel like I want, would love to do throughout the morning is, is to over and over again remind you that the things that we read about in the Bible, the things that we read about who we are, these are the things that we need to begin to play out in our minds. Rather than just taking hold of these things that we read in the Bible as, uh, as fact, rather than just reading the, the information that we have, I would love it that we get to the place where we begin to play these things out in our minds. See, I think in the room today, as I look in the room, I, I think that many of us are at the place where we believe that Christianity is true. We've gathered the information. We've went to the resource. We've went to all the, the places to find different information, and we've come to the conclusion that Christianity is true. And that's good. I love, you know that I love the Bible. I love the, the, the defense that we make for what we believe. And that is good. And it is so important. But as I, as I wrestle through some of this, I've been, I've been asking this question. I've been pursuing this thought. The effect that it has on my life, the effect that it has on my, on my life will only happen to the extent that it is experienced as real. I believe that Christianity is true. I believe in the birth, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and believe all that. The information is phenomenal. It almost seems too good to be true, but as I think, what effect is that having in my life? How is this changing? How is this changing me? How is this transforming me? I think it is to the extent that it is experienced as real. And again, please forgive me. The problem with having the microphone is, is that you can, you're, all the things that, all your pet peeves can be exposed as you begin to share. But the things that we believe, the things that we, be, the things that, uh, we believe from those that, that don't differ significantly. 
things that the Christians believe that differ significantly from non-Christians. And I hope you don't mind, but can I poke you a wee bit? I, I am, this is what I'm asking myself, how what we believe differs significantly, but how we live and what we do with our time, what we do with our uh, money, the way that we live, how great is that difference? The difference between what we believe, the information that we've received and what we have done with that information is vastly different. But how different, how different is how we live, how we use our time and how we spend our money. I'm saying that about the pet peeve because I hope it's all right to say this. I, and I know that people will give defense and please do it, but I, I, I don't know if I want to say it as strong. I really dislike Black Friday. I really dislike Black Friday. And, and I, I, if some people in the room have got the best deal they could ever have dreamt, then forgive me, I'm so sorry. But there's a part of me that, that as a consumer, that is, gets so frustrated with Black Friday. And so what will take place this Tuesday started as a, as a consequence or whatever to Black Friday is giving Tuesday. So uh, in the consumeristic liturgical calendar, there's Black Friday and there is Cyber Monday. And all it is is for big, rich business people to get more money. But Tuesday, Tuesday is giving Tuesday. Tuesday is giving Tuesday. Set up as a, as a response to, to Black Friday and to Cyber Monday. As I've thought about that, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply convicted by this. I'm challenged by this. Part of, me's, part of me is having fun a wee bit with the Black Friday thing. But as I've just thought about how, how I spend my time, what I'm flicking through on Amazon, what I'm flicking through on, on all the sales sites, just became aware that the time that I've spent this week, I don't think it's any different from the time that people that haven't been captured by the grace and the mercy of Jesus have spent their time. As I think about how I'm going to spend my money, I'm, I'm, I'm more tempted, I'm more, I'm, more, I'm more intrigued, I'm more keen to give my money on, on Black Friday than I am on Giving Tuesday. I'm struck by that thought that actually what we believe is vastly different, but actually how I'm spending my time and how I'm spending my money is maybe not so much. That's really challenging. And so that's why I'm, that's why, and so I'll go back to that point that, that, that the information is great. We need the information. We need the information, but it needs, we need to play it out over and over in our minds because it needs to be experienced as real. And the effect that our Christianity has on our lives will only happen to the extent that it is experienced as real. And I think about people who pray Think about, consider our, our prayer lives. Consider your prayer life. The, the passion that I see in, in many people who pray, it doesn't come from those who are the most committed. I don't, I don't think. I love people who are committed to, to show up every time there's a prayer meeting, show up in the place of prayer every time. But for me, the, the passion is not, from the, from, is not from those who are committed or not. It's the difference is people who experience it differently. And that's where I'm at with my prayer, prayer life at the minute. 
I'm wanting to be committed to showing up to pray. I want to pray for all the people who are sick. I want to pray for all the things that are going on within my family. I want to pray for about all the things that are going on in me. But actually, I want to experience it differently. I want to experience it differently. Romans 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Can I read it from the message version really quickly? love the language that Eugene Peterson used here. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. And quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God. Embracing what he does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. In my NIV version, more familiar to us are these words, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as I've been engaging with this verse over this week, I've been asking the Lord, God, I just don't want to tell myself information that is true. I want to practice imaginatively experiencing myself living in that truth. I don't want to just tell myself the true information. I'm asking God, is it possible? Is there something that you can do in, in here that I could practice imaginatively experiencing living in this truth? I asked, uh, oh, Judith is here. I asked Judith during the week. Um, sometimes whenever we're apart or whenever I'm away for a few days, I was asking her, like, Judith, what is it that you, what is it you think about whenever you can't physically see me? And I was sitting, like, back and forth. Like, what, do you recount the information that you know about me? Or is there something about practicing imaginatively, experiencing yourself, just being together, and how that makes you feel, the difference it makes, that we're together because if Judith was just to if Judith was just to recount information that she knows about me to be true, so we're apart for a couple of days. And Judith inevitably misses me desperately. I don't think it's going to help that she remembers that I am almost six foot and have a scruffy beard and know her, and I'm thirty four years old. And I'm the father to Caleb, Eli, and Jada, and Katie. All, those inf all the information is true. 
all the information is right and 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 even if she was willing to say that well, he's really kind, he's really helpful around the house, all these things are facts. Yeah? All these factual things that Judith can think about, how good I am at washing the dishes and, and all of these things that she talks about, hoovering and, and doing the ironing. And she can keep on going. <laughs> and, um, but actually, it's, it's, it's only when you begin to practice, when you begin to use your imagination to play over it and over in your mind how she makes me feel. How she makes me feel when I'm, when I'm in the room with her. The difference that it makes when we're together, and it's that that I take hold of. It's that that I want to, it's that that I want to imaginatively experience myself living in that, in that truth. I hope that makes sense, because if it's not, it's really embarrassing. But what does it look like? And this thought, these thoughts have consumed me this week. What does it look like? What would it look like? What would I look like? What would I sound like? What, how would I feel? How would I feel if I was convinced that I am loved with an everlasting love? And we could literally spend the rest of our morning right through to tonight talking about places that we could go to that rather than, than, than just reading the information that we could possibly experience Imagining ourselves living in that truth. The truth that our old self has been crucified. Our old self has been crucified. Romans 6 or Galatians 2. That we are completely forgiven. That we are perfected. That we are reconciled. It is, there is a, has to be a difference. There's one thing to, to read that. Another thing to experience yourself living in the truth that you're forgiven. Experience yourself living in the truth that you're perfected. Share this verse with Andrew McGuire last week, Hebrews 10 verse 14, that we, that because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has made perfect. That is one thing to, to have the information. It's another thing to imagine yourself like practically Practice imagining yourself, experiencing, living in that truth. How would you feel? How would you sound? How would your, how would your day look different if you practiced living in the truth that you've been perfected, that you've been reconciled, that you've been made holy, that you're forgiven, that you have been completely made new. You've been completely made new and you've been given Christ's resurrection life. And then the, 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 the fact of that, the information that we have about that is incredible. But the thought of practicing, imaginatively experiencing, living in that truth, that that would be the thing that would play out in your mind, that that would be the thought that would take hold of your, that would take hold and you would begin to think about, that you begin to ponder on, that would be the, the, the thing that would go over and over and over. The spirit of Jesus lives in us. That we are now seated in heavenly places. What would it be like to get your imagination to there? That's, that's, that's what he says. That's who he says that we are. See, see, these exhortations, these words that Paul uses are not given. He's not saying this is what you are, are not. Or this is what you will become, but this is who you already are. This is what is already true. 
this is who you already are. This is what is already true, that you're seated in heavenly places. Imagine if our imaginations could be stirred. At times just to get a kingdom perspective on, on what's going on and what he's wanting to do in us and what he's wanting to do around us. That we would get that kingdom perspective because he says what is it, what, who you already are and what is already true, you're seated in heavenly places. You're seated in heavenly places and you have been made partakers of eternal inheritance. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have been united with him. The Father has chosen us. The Father has made us holy and blameless before him in love. Ephesians 1. In fact, the whole of Ephesians 1. The Father has chosen us. He has made us holy and blameless before. This is not words that have been spoken about who you are not or who you are going to be. It's who you are and what is already true. And if our imaginations, if our minds could take hold of that. Because the truth is, and again, this is my experience, by the time I have played out a scenario over and over and over in my mind, it completely changes how I respond and how I react. There's times where there's times where in conflict, there's times where in a certain scenario, the moment is is mild. It is it does not it could be dealt with really quickly. But once there's space given for it to play over and over in your mind, it completely impacts who who you are the next time you find yourself with that person that you've been in conflict with because of how it's played out in your mind, because of how you have imaginatively recreated all that you wanted to say and you should have said. You begin to carry an attitude. You begin to carry a behavior. You begin to act a certain way all because of, all because of what the foothold that has been taken in your mind. What would it be like? How would I look? How would I sound and how would I feel if these things took hold? If this was the thing that took hold that I began to think about, that I began to imagine, that I began to, to, to see that video being played out in my mind's eye, how that impacts then my behavior in certain environments, in certain situations, around certain people. When I recognize that, that what has been said about me through the, through the heart of the Father, through the words of Jesus, through the longing of the Holy Spirit, that this is who I already am. This is what is already true. And so what I'm trying to do, what I've found myself trying to do, it is, it is not always easy, but it has really helped slow me down. So even in worship, even in worship today, rather than just declaring the, the, the facts and the truth of the songs, which are wonderful, but actually begin to imagine, like what was it? What did we sing in the first song? That the, the the fear doesn't stand a chance and withstand in His love. And so I'm beginning to imagine what would it be like if if the if the love of Jesus just consumed somebody right now. To imagine that that we would, that the waves of His love would just crash over us and and as we stand in that love, that fear is it doesn't stand a chance. And the chains. The chains that keep us in bondage, the chains that the enemy longs to keep us in bondage with, 
to begin to imagine as we sing, as we worship, that, that they would be broken. The Holy Spirit, did you begin to break them off the lives of people in this place? For me, as I, as I try to, to worship with as, as many of my senses as I possibly can, it slows me down. I take, I take hold of what it is that I'm singing. I take hold of what it is that I'm praying. I'm asking, I'm asking the Lord even in my prayer life and, I, and I've noticed that it begins to slow me down when I try to imagine rather than just praying the, praying the, the same prayer at times, rather than just reading the requests off, off a black and white board. It slows me down when I begin to engage my mind, even in my Bible reading. And again, just chatting with Judith, this is one of the areas that is maybe a wee bit easier to, to use our imagination. But what it does for me is to begin, it slows me down. Rather than reading the chapter to do, my, to do my reading for the day, it slows me down to imagine myself in the moment, to imagine myself where Jesus was. And I'm not there yet, but to imagine the sounds and the smells, to imagine being there. There's times where, the, where because, of, because we're so attracted to story, we're, we're attracted to story, we find ourselves able to use our imagination a bit better there. For me, it's just been about slowing me down. So that's where I need to slow down more than anything in my head. All that goes on in my head. For many of us, some of us need to physically slow down. You're too busy. You need to take a rest. You need to slow down. But for, for some of us, it's more of what's going on in here. And in our heads and in our minds, you need to slow down. And I think this, this, way, this way that I'm trying to experience almost for the first time in worship and in prayer and in reading the Bible it's, it's to slow me down in here and to get rid of this, but I ought to get through the whole list of prayer requests, but I ought to read the full chapter. We need to get rid of this ought to language. We need to get rid of this try harder. We need to understand and experience better what it is to rest in Christ, what it is to rest in him. And, and John, in John 15, he uses the language of remaining and abiding in him. If you want to bear fruit, that's where it's going to come from. It's not going to come from ought, your ought to's or your I need to try harder. It's going to come from resting in him. It's going to come from abiding and dwelling. If you want to, if you want to experience fruit, you want to experience fruit in your life, there's only one place that you're going to find that. It's whenever you dwell with him, when you slow down and you remain in him. We talked, David read from it, from Galatians 5 and Friday night, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I think as David read those verses, I was reminded, and this is going to probably sound really simple for you, but it was almost like, oh yeah, it's the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes I've lived in such a way that it's, that I try harder and that I work harder and that I, I need to be better, need to do more. This is the fruit of Neil Dawson, actually. It's not, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Belongs to him. It's his. It's the fruit of the spirit, and we and we experience we experience the fruit when we when we abide, when we slow down. The fruit of the spirit. It's not a product of trying harder. Let me read this. I read this from a historian and theologian Morton Kelsey this week. 
and I'm wrapping up now, several times a week, this is his practice, several times a week I simply stop and wait before him, before Jesus. And sometimes I picture him at the time of the resurrection, rising victorious from the tomb. Or perhaps another time I, I picture him knocking at the door of my soul. Of all the processes of imagination which have helped me, none has offered me as much value as this approach to Christ. It is out of these encounters that most of my growth in understanding and personality have come. Out of this sense of sharing as well as being cared for, I find encouragement to keep on trying to grow and become what he wants me to become. In Psalm 23, verse 7, to paraphrase, I think it's, in most of our, in most of our Bibles, I think it's, they're all, it's all translated differently. But in one translation it says, whatever a man thinks, so he is. I'd almost love to paraphrase it today, but whatever a man, whatever a man or a woman, whatever we play over in our minds, that is what we are becoming. And I almost want to finish with that, just being the final question. Who is it that we're becoming? What are we being transformed into? I loved Wednesday night. Dad had, had asked, or Robin maybe, had asked the girls and Elijah just to, to share what your hopes and your goals were what it is that you wanted to do, what it is that you wanted to achieve. And it was wonderful to hear the hearts of every one of these guys as they, as they shared their ambitions and their goals and their dreams. But I've been struck by Madeline's response, and, and, and I'm not sure Madeline had a, an answer for what she wanted to do necessarily, but what she was concerned with was who she was becoming. Not so much at the minute concerned about what it is that I'm doing, but who am I becoming? And so I, I love that, I love the thoughts that I've shared and with that question as I close to be the thing that would challenge us this week. Who is it that we're becoming? And as you begin to ask yourself, you can, you can, you can, I can guarantee you that you'll be able to trace it right back to what it is that you're thinking. If you're becoming critical, if you're becoming judgmental, if you're becoming rude or harsh, I promise you, Take it back to how you're thinking. Take it back to the thoughts that are being played over and over in your mind. And see if there's a shift that can take place with some of these verses that I've read. Overcome it with good. <laughs> so Father, I just ask that, uh, that you challenge us today. I pray that the thought, the idea of who we are becoming would, would, would be the thought that would challenge us. Because ma many of us are doing lots of good things and, we, and I thank you for that. I thank you for that. But in all the things that we are doing, we can often lose sight of who it is that we're becoming. And so we're wanting to become those that are being transformed ever and ever in, uh, in increasing glory into your image, into your likeness, Jesus. And so we're wanting to take hold of the things that the Father says about us, the things that are already true, the things in our words that are, the things in, our, in the word that is already true who we are, is really true about us. So thank you. And Holy Spirit, just thank you for, the, for what it is that you want to do in us. And so would you take the veil from our minds? Take the veil from our minds. Allow us to experience a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, to see things like you do, 
and experience your freedom. In Jesus' name.